Um, have you ever experienced a wrong diagnosis, a wrong health diagnosis? Show of hands. I'm not going to ask you what it was. At home, you can make a comment online and share with the rest of us that way. Maybe, maybe you went to the doctor, you had symptoms, and, and you and the doctor agreed that those symptoms meant you had one thing, but then later you found out that it was something else. Well, I ask you this because I read this crazy story. It's just about a month ago now, and it was about a 50-year-old man. His name is Jeff Henningsen. When Jeff Henningsen was only 15 years old, he was tragically diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. And the neurosurgeon that performed the original surgery told the family that the chances of survival of this particular form of cancer are virtually non-existent. They needed to prepare themselves because he was going to die. Well, that was 35 years ago. 35 years ago. And his story is so astonishing that BBC News did a feature on him. And because they are an international media outlet, he was flooded with emails and letters and phone calls. But see, that's not the story that I read. I read the story that Jeff wrote after that story broke. And he wrote it about one of the individuals who reached out to him because they read about his story. This, this person was, was named Carl Schwartz. He's a neuropathologist, and his entire career has focused on the same kind of cancer that Jeff was diagnosed with when he was 15. Well, he reached out to Jeff, and he told Jeff that in his 38 years of practicing medicine, and specifically focusing on this particular diagnosis, he's only met three people who have survived and later learned that two of them were later learned to have been misdiagnosed. And so his question to Jeff when he reached out to him was very blunt. It was this, do you think that you actually ever had cancer? Do you think that you actually ever had cancer? And as they dug together into his medical records, what they learned is that it's likely that he didn't. Now, can you imagine how that must have felt? Can you imagine? I mean, even those of you who raise your hand, right? Like, like if you've experienced a misdiagnosis, and that can happen, right? Because the medical system is full of people, and people are, are, are broken, right? right? They do an excellent job, but sometimes we make mistakes. But usually, what our concern is, is, is not that kind of misdiagnosis. It's the other kind. It's something that is there that the doctors fail to see. Well, today is Easter, and as we read the reading that we read just a minute ago, I think about what happened 2,000 years ago, and it highlights a monumental diagnosis that in some ways is not unlike the one that Jeff Henningsen received 35 years ago. And that just reminds me of how human the story of Jesus is. I mean, think about the whole story, right? You were with us for Christmas. Remember how Jesus came into the world? He came in the exact same way you and I do, right? He came into the world through an earthly mother. It's just like us. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to talk. The Bible doesn't say this, but I'm fairly certain he had to wear diapers, See, all the same ways that you came into the world, that's the way Jesus came into the world. And then we read the rest of the story, right? We read the fact that as he grew in years, he learned the trades from his earthly father, Joseph. He was a man who worked with his hands. 
And then we read the story of, of everything he did in the three years of his earthly ministry as an adult, the teachings and the miracles and all of that stuff. And that stuff is way beyond us, right? But then at the end of the story, he leaves the earth the exact same way that you and I will. Of course, Good Friday tells a story of how brutal it was. We won't all be beaten and spit on and ridiculed and judged and executed in public for all to see. I mean, granted, a lot of the disciples were, and there are people who are today. But purely on a physiological level, just like you and me, there was a moment in history 2,000 years ago where the heart of the Son of God stopped beating when his lungs no longer filled with air, when his body no longer carried that mysterious substance of life. It's a phenomenon that, that any of us who have ever experienced losing a loved one and sitting there with that loved one as they pass away can relate to. Their body might still be present, but you know in a way that you cannot understand or articulate that they are just no longer there. And I point it out because that all happened to Jesus. All of that happened to Jesus. He was dead. And the diagnosis was that he would stay that way because 2,000 years ago, people tended to stay dead at roughly the same rate that people stay dead today, which is to say forever. As I said, the story of Jesus is a deeply human one. And so in our reading today, the women closest to Jesus responded to him with the appropriate treatment for a dead man. Look at verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Just like Jeff Henningsen's cancer was treated with chemotherapy and radiation, these women came to anoint the body of Jesus with spices and with oil. That's the prescribed treatment for death. Verse 2, very early on in the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone from the entrance of the tomb? See, back then, tombs were large, maybe carved out into, into the side of a, of a hill or a mountain, and they would use these giant stones to seal them shut. And so these women were coming to the tomb, and it was the equivalence of you or I showing up to a casket that's already been buried six feet underground and it's the middle of January. The ground is frozen and all you have is a small garden shovel. What are we going to do? How are we going to do this? Verse 4, But when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, and it had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw the young man dressed in a white robe, sitting at the right side, and they were alarmed. It was an angel we read in the other Gospels. The angel said to them, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. His body is gone. It's gone. And without any sign of struggle, it's almost as if he was never there. Like Jeff, like Jeff Hennigson's cancer. Looking back at the medical records, this, this new physician concluded that, that what he believes is very likely is that the cancer never existed, and they can't explain why. 
They have no idea how this could possibly be. This was 35 years ago. The doctors who diagnosed him are no longer in practice. And so he said it could only be one of two things. It could be a miracle of biblical proportions, said the doctor, or it could be a massive monumental human mistake. But to this day, they can't explain how that happened any more than the women could explain and understand how the stone was moved away. Where is Jesus body. Look at verse 7. The, the angel says, go tell the disciples and Peter, Jesus is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And it says, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were, say it with me, afraid. Now you and I know the story. You and I know the story. For most of us, this is not our first Easter sermon. You might have had to watch it online last year, but you might be watching it online this year, but you've heard it before. We've heard this story maybe lots of times. Jesus is alive. We already sang about it. Steve told it to you in the announcements, and frankly, here's the deal. If you come back next Sunday, we're going to tell you the story again. We tell this story over and over and over every time we meet, not just on Easter. And so if that's true, and if you know, then the new question that I want to wonder is this, why were the women afraid? The angel told them that Jesus had risen. Why were they afraid? Shouldn't they be happy? Like, wouldn't you be happy? That's what I would think. And that's what I would have thought Jeff Henningsen would have felt too when he got the call from the doctor saying that after 35 years, you probably don't have cancer. And yet as I read Jeff's own reflection, he was more like the women at the tomb, bewildered, terrified, afraid. When, when, the, when the doctor told Jeff that he probably didn't have cancer, Jeff wrote this. He said, he said I had to mute my phone because all I wanted to do was scream. And so I muted my phone, and I attempted to scream, but instead of sound coming out of my lips, all that came out were tears from my eyes. And the doctor, even in the silence, could tell that it was difficult for Jeff, and so in an effort to make him feel better, he said this. He said, Jeff, cancer has never been part of your story. And here's what Jeff says after that. He said, that's where the doctor is wrong. Cancer has been central to my story. Well, I'm sure Dr. Schwartz meant to console me. His words have instead opened a floodgate to deep and painful emotions, fierce feelings of rage, followed by floods of grief. And so I sat down and I wrote a list of the consequences of the misdiagnosis. Brain radiation damaged my vision, my hearing, and my hormones. Its long-term effects on the scar tissue in my brain might be why I'm epileptic. Chemotherapy harmed my lungs. A near certainty of my early demise has filled me with fear. Not just until I beat the odds, but every time I had a headache, every time I was stuffed into a tube for another precautionary MRI, waiting to hear that I'm all clear for another year or two. My diagnosis has wreaked havoc on every member of my nuclear family, harming them, hurting them for many years. 
There was so much to be angry about, so much to grieve. Death has been a part of Jeff's life, his entire life, threatening him, threatening his family, threatening his future, at every turn, in every shadow. And friends, this is where we can begin to relate, isn't it? We can begin to relate because the truth is we are more like Jeff than we realize. Hasn't death been looming over us through pandemic over this past year, angering us in its impact on our daily lives. Not just those who've lost lives, which are many, too many, but what about all the other things? We all have a list of consequences now, consequences that have been both short and long term. The story of Easter shows us that we're also misguided by another diagnosis, And this time, it's not the diagnosis of cancer. It's not the diagnosis of a virus. It's not a diagnosis that comes from a doctor. But it's sin. It's a diagnosis that comes to us from from Dr. Satan. And his misdiagnosis is a lot more crafty than that. His misdiagnosis to you and me isn't that you will die. It's actually worse. It's that by your own strength and mind, you and I can live forever on earth, in this body, in this house, in this new car, in this perfect job. See, that's what sin is. It's not just the ugly things that we don't like to talk about. It's also the beautiful gifts. It's the shiny things that God gives us that then we take and we place before him. And I know at this point in every Easter sermon, this is where I start to lose people because because we know the facts, right? You know you're going to die someday. I know that. You didn't need to come to church to hear that. But see, that's the fact. And the fact that there was never any cancer in Jeff's body, just because it's a fact, didn't have any impact on protecting him from living as if there was for 35 years. See, facts are tricky that way. Even if we know the facts in our heads, we don't always make them down to our hearts. They don't make it that far, and we can live our lives quite well ignoring the facts, and we often do. And so I think about this Easter that if if it might be jarring and painful to learn after 35 years that you're cancer-free, I think to myself, what might it feel like for you and me if we live our lives, practically speaking, as if we're going to live forever, only to learn in a moment that comes from a car crash or a legitimate cancer diagnosis or old age, that you and I are wrong. See, that's actually the gift of Easter. The gift of Easter is that it causes us to face that reality that we will die. Why is that a gift? Well, because here's how it works. Practically speaking, for your life and for mine, it teaches us to live today as if today is your last day because it could be. And so what do we do? We grab hold of our loved ones. We squeeze our kids. We don't withhold forgiveness. 
We make amends. We grow deeper in our love for our spouses. We stop allowing things like politics to divide our families and racism to divide our countries. We take seriously that on this side of heaven, we only have so much time so that we might live the life we do have to the fullest. Can you say amen? That's the story of Easter. It's part of the story. And that in itself is probably worth the price of admission, which is free because you came to church and we don't charge anything. But that's only the first half. It's not where the story ends. It's actually just the first part. The second part is the part we can never pay for. The first part, that, that's something you can read about on Facebook and fancy memes and things like that. The second part, that's what you came to hear. The hope that Jesus invites us into on Easter is that even though he calls us today to be focused on the reality that life is a gift, that itself brings the gift of life to us. He also promises us that when we die, the ultimate surprise will not be our eternal death, but that we will live forever. And if you start to live that way today, the promise of faith and the mystery of faith is that every time you live the way Jesus calls you to live, your actions, your life, your relationships, everything he has called us to do is he tells us that his kingdom in heaven comes down to earth, will be transformed into treasures in heaven. And we can believe that it's true because Jesus did that in front of us when the wounds in his body and his very death were transformed into the resurrected life that he began and that all who believe and call upon his name will experience as well. This is what the author of Hebrews Hebrews was saying in Hebrews chapter 2. He said, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son, Jesus, also became flesh and blood. I told you, it's a human story. It's a human story. For only as a human being could Jesus die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, the misdiagnosis that's whispered into our ears, who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Jeff Henningsen, as he continues to process his cancer misdiagnosis, he concluded his article by saying this. He said, in the past few days, a third emotion has appeared. Slowly, deliberately, it is weaving its way into the emotional assemblage that dominates me. For 35 years, I was afraid that my tumor would come back, that the cancer would kill me. It's seeping into me now, though, for the first time that the cancer likely never was. I find in this, I find just a small smidgen of relief. I do hope that that will grow. If Jeff was sitting here today, or if somehow he got hold of this sermon, I'd like to tell him about a Jesus who tells me what can happen with faith the size of a mustard seed, with hope 
that shows us what is possible beyond what we can see. Faith being the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what is not so clear right now. Friends, can we all agree this has been a hard year? It's been a hard year. We've all faced death, which makes us all just like the women at the tomb, bewildered, terrified, and afraid. But Easter tells us the story doesn't end there. Jesus said in John chapter 12, and I'll leave you with this, I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But it is, its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it, and those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Those words by themselves leave us bewildered and afraid and even confused to say that we're called to, to hate our life, to let go of our life. What does that mean? It's the first half of the story of Easter. It's an awareness of the, the facts of life that this life on this side of heaven is short, far too short. Lord Jesus, I can, I can say that, that for every person that I've sat next to who's facing their coming death, I know that, that over and over and over again they will share, and I believe that I will share too, that, that we want more, that we're not ready to leave. We're not ready to die. And so after this past year that, that death has just been forced in our faces, either directly or indirectly, may we listen to your Holy Spirit speaking through this, speaking through our circumstances, that what we're doing right now to be able to come together and worship on Easter is a gift because life itself is a gift, not to be taken for granted. And on this side of heaven, it's a limited resource. And so I pray as we practice Easter this year, as we practice Easter today, will each and every one of us find an opportunity to love the people around us as if today is the last Easter that we might spend. Because for someone, it is. And someday for all of us, it will be. And that's why the second part of Easter is so, so important. It's not just about living life to the fullest. That, that's a secular thing. That's something that fits on a t-shirt. It's true. But it's true because of the words that we listened to at the very beginning of the message from the old song. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, our burdens are lifted from us. Because he lives, we have hope that as we live this life to the fullest by holding it loosely, when our final Easter comes and we let this life go, Jesus gives us a new life and a new body to live in a new kingdom that we begin living in today is we live our lives the way Jesus calls us to live. And then for all of eternity, we live in that hope 
and that love and that trust and that absolute faith to be in your presence as heaven and earth become one. That is the promise. The promise of Easter 2,000 years ago is that you conquered death. And the promise that Christians look forward to today is that you conquered death then and you will come back to take us home. Help us to find rest in that. Help us to find our peace in that. And it is in your name that we pray.